There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, September 27th, 2022, the 615th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and you will be supporting me and the work I do and this show as it expands. If you can't do that or you simply don't want to, just keep listening for free a couple days later on a variety of podcast platforms. But let's get into it. There is so much happening in the world today, and almost all of it is a little hard to discern. It's hard to know exactly what's going on. And the most confusing by far is the developing situation with the Nord Stream pipelines from Russia to Europe. So let's start with how it's being covered by the globalist Propaganda media outlet, the Associated Press. 
Denmark says Baltic gas pipeline leaks, deliberate actions. Explosions rattled the Baltic Sea before unusual leaks were discovered on two natural gas pipelines running underwater from Russia to Germany, seismologists said Tuesday. Danish Prime Minister Meta Fredriksen said her government regarded the leaks as the results of deliberate actions by unknown perpetrators. And other European leaders and experts painted to possible sabotage amid an energy standoff with Russia provoked by the war in Ukraine. The first explosion was recorded early Monday southeast of the Danish island of Bornholm, said Bjorn Lund, director of the Swedish National Seismic Network. A second stronger blast northeast of the island that night was equivalent to a magnitude 2.3 earthquake. Seismic stations in Denmark, Norway, and Finland also registered the explosions. There is no doubt this is not an earthquake, Lund said. Asked whether the incident constituted an attack on Denmark, Fredriksen replied that the leaks happened in international waters and the answer is thus no. Asked who could be responsible for the leaks, Fredriksen said there is no information indicating who could be behind it. On Wednesday, Danish Defense Minister Morten Bodskov will travel to Brussels to meet with NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg to talk about the gas leaks. Denmark's foreign minister, Jeppe Kofod, said other countries in the region, Sweden, Germany, and Poland, have been kept informed, and we will inform and reach out to Russia in this case. He said Denmark's foreign intelligence service didn't see any increased military threat against Denmark after the three leaks on the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines, which are filled with natural gas, but not delivering the fuel to Europe, overshadowed the inauguration of a long-awaited pipeline that will bring Norwegian gas to Poland to bolster the continent's energy independence from Moscow. The gas leaks created a foamy white area on the water's surface. Images released by Denmark's military show. Danish energy minister Dan Jorgensen said that we are not sure how long the leak will go on for as the gas has not been turned off. There was no indication when the gas would be turned off. Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki called the events an act of sabotage. During a ceremony near Goleniau in northwestern Poland, Morawiecki, Denmark's Fredriksen, and Polish President Andrzej Duda symbolically opened the valve of a yellow pipe belonging to the Baltic Pipe, a new system sending Norwegian gas across Denmark and the Baltic Sea to Poland. The era of Russian domination in the gas sphere is coming to an end, Morawiecki declared an era that was marked by blackmail, threats, and extortion. The escaped natural gas is made up almost entirely of methane. Methane is the second biggest contributor to climate change after carbon dioxide, if you're the sort of person that buys that. David Hastings, a retired chemical oceanographer in Gainesville, Florida, said much of the gas would rise through the ocean and enter the atmosphere. There is no question that the largest environmental impact of this is to the climate because methane is a really potent greenhouse gas, he said. So what clues do we have so far? We're only about halfway through this article. Well, it's likely sabotage, definitely not an earthquake, 
The opening of another pipeline was supposed to bring Russia's energy dominance in the natural gas field to an end in Europe, which was good because Russian energy dominance was marked by blackmail, threats and extortion. And this is a huge climate change crisis in the making. It's not an energy crisis for Europe. I mean, it's that too. But the biggest impact is the climate change impact. And methane, as we know, is why we have to be scared of cow farts and why we have to eat crickets. So just think about how many crickets you're going to have to eat to make up for this natural gas leak. No official presented evidence of what caused the Nord Stream problems, but with distrust of Russia running high, some feared Moscow sabotaged its own infrastructure out of spite or to warn that pipelines are vulnerable to attack. <laughs> I mean, can you believe any of this? The leaks in international waters off the coast of Denmark and Sweden raised the stakes on whether energy infrastructure was being targeted and led to a small bump in natural gas prices. And the place where the leak occurred was very conveniently in international waters, very close to the waters of other countries. But these waters are totally neutral. We can clearly see that this is an act of sabotage, an act that probably means a step of escalation in the situation that we are dealing with in Ukraine, Morawiecki said. OK, so now you're giving the game away. It's something to do with Ukraine, and it's probably Russia that sabotaged their own pipeline, the one that they could just simply turn off if they wanted to. They definitely sabotaged it so that they could prove to the world that pipelines are vulnerable to attacks. Got it. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken told reporters that American officials have not confirmed sabotage or an attack. Anders Puck Nielsen, a researcher with the Center for Maritime Operations at the Royal Danish Defense College, said the timing of the leaks was conspicuous given the ceremony for the Baltic pipe. He said perhaps someone sought to send a signal that something could happen to the Norwegian gas. Again, that is a very, very strange proposition. Russia just came along and bashed their own pipeline so that they could threaten the other pipeline, the Baltic pipeline from Norway to Europe. I mean, what is the tactic here? Oh, hey, that's a really nice Baltic pipe you just opened. It would be a shame if something were to happen to our pipes. But here we go. The extent of the damage means the Nord Stream pipelines are unlikely to be able to carry any gas to Europe this winter, even if there was political will to bring them online, analysts at the Eurasia Group said. And the Eurasia Group is Ian Bremmer's extreme global elitist organization. If you've ever listened to Ian Bremmer anywhere, the first thing you will notice is that he is a globalist and an elitist. And he's basically clueless to anything that isn't happening on Twitter. But it's interesting how they framed that. So if there was the political will to bring them online. So there was some kind of political controversy here. They couldn't decide whether it was going to open. Well, now that decision 
is irrelevant. Russia has halted flows on the 1,224 kilometer Nord Stream 1 pipeline during the war, while Germany prevented them from ever starting in the parallel Nord Stream 2. Depending on the scale of the damage, the leaks could even mean a permanent closure of both lines. Analysts Henning Gloystein and Jason Bush wrote, the permanent closure of two massive natural gas pipelines from Russia to Europe. Now, one would think that the biggest problem here is European energy, but, you know, that comes second to climate change, because if the world ends in eight years, well, it's not going to matter whether or not Europe has energy, apparently. They noted that undersea pipelines are designed in a way that they are not accidentally damaged and leaks are rare. Oh, wow. So two total black swan events happening at the same time. Puck Nielsen said of possible sabotage that technically speaking, this is not difficult. It just requires a boat. It requires some divers that know how to handle explosive devices. But I think if we look at who would actually benefit from disturbances, more chaos on the gas market in Europe, I think there's basically only one actor right now that actually benefits from more uncertainty, and that is Russia, he said. So they are really sticking with this story that Russia has sabotaged its own gas pipelines because they're claiming Russia stands to benefit from this situation. But I think that that is probably wrong and probably insane. And it's probably the sort of intentional falsehood that is exactly wrong, where they're basically just projecting. Sometimes they do that and they end up giving the entire logic for their claim and just attribute all of that to the wrong party. And we may well find that's what's happening here. Asked if the leaks may have been caused by sabotage. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said no version could be excluded. This is an unprecedented situation that requires an urgent investigation. We are extremely worried by this news, he said in a conference call with reporters. The Danish and Swedish maritime authorities issued navigation warnings on the eastern coast of Bornholm. The Danish Emergency Management Agency installed equipment that measures the concentration of gas in the air. Local police said authorities assess that there are no safety or health risks. Well, that's amazing for a gas as dangerous as methane that could potentially destroy the whole world and allow it to be attacked by the sun forever. Denmark also established a prohibited area to ensure that ships avoid the leaks. Ships may lose buoyancy and there may also be a risk of ignition above the water and in the air. Authorities said the sky might catch on fire. The Nord Stream pipelines have been at the center of an energy clash between Europe and Russia since the invasion of Ukraine in late February. Plunging Russian gas supplies have caused prices to soar, pressuring governments to help ease the pain of sky-high energy bills for households and businesses as winter nears. The crisis has also raised fears of rationing and recession. The Baltic pipe is a prominent element in the European Union's search for energy security and is to start bringing Norwegian gas through Denmark and along the Baltic Sea to Poland on October 1st. Simone Talia Pietra, an energy expert with the Bruegel think tank in Brussels speculated that the leaks could have been caused by Russian sabotage or 
anti-Russian sabotage. One possibility is Russia signaling it is breaking forever with Western Europe and Germany as Poland inaugurates its pipeline with Norway, he said. In any case, this is a stark reminder of the exposure to risk of Europe's gas infrastructure. So again, Russia has this pipeline that takes natural gas from Russia and sends it to Europe. And Russia is selling the gas that goes through there. And one would assume that gas being a critical commodity would probably make Russia a lot of money. And if they had an unlimited supply of it and they could keep selling it, then they would just have money coming in for a very long time. But Russia being those rogues and rebels they are, Putin being crazy and almost dying of cancer, maybe. Well, he's kind of such a wild card that he thinks, forget all that money. I'm going to show them that we don't need their money at all. And so we're going to blow up our own pipelines right as a competing pipeline comes into the picture. We're so mad about that competing pipeline that we're going to blow up our own pipeline. And that is absolutely crazy. But, oh, maybe it's crazy like a fox. Maybe Putin is just outfoxing all of these little energy experts. That's a real nice pipeline you've got over there. It would be a shame if something happened to ours. But here's the thing. Europe already had massive energy concerns and Vladimir Putin had the leverage and was able to use that leverage to deter a European response and an escalation by European countries vis-a-vis the situation in Ukraine. And by the way, the situation in Ukraine on some level is kind of over. We went through the Douglas McGregor piece yesterday. Ukraine has completely failed in its war efforts. Those war efforts are being supported by the United States, the European nations, the West more broadly, the global communists more broadly than that. They are bringing in Western weapons, primarily from the U.S., and those are being sent to Ukraine, in quotes, but ending up all over the place. And Ukraine is operating on intelligence from the West, primarily from the U.S. and from British intelligence, and they are executing maneuvers on the battlefield and executing a strategy that is advised by the U.S. and by the British and by the West more broadly and the global communists more broadly. The idea that the comedic actor in Ukraine is somehow orchestrating the entire war effort against Russia and is winning and halting Russia in its path, that's completely absurd. It's completely detached from reality. That just simply is not what's happening, and it never has been happening. Vladimir Putin is achieving his goals as he set them out at the beginning. He wanted Crimea to be recognized and remain Russian and for Ukraine to stop interfering with Crimea. He wanted to make sure that Ukraine did not become a part of NATO or the EU. He wanted to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine, and he wanted the Donbass republics to remain independent republics, removing the malign influence of Ukraine and ending the ethnic civil war that has been happening there since 2014. He got all those things. Crimea is Russian. 
Ukraine is not in the EU or in NATO and doesn't seem like they will be anytime soon. He has decimated Ukrainian forces, which would be abundantly obvious if it weren't for the Western media's propaganda campaign and the continuous sending of American money and military assets to the region. And to top all of that off, it looks like all four of the referendums being held in regions of Ukraine that Russia now controls are all going massively to Russia. So Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporozhye, and Kherson are all going to be part of Russia, just like what happened with Crimea during the Obama administration. Crazy how that works, isn't it? So Vladimir Putin has essentially achieved his goals in large measure in Ukraine. He was leveraging Russia's dominant energy position in relation to Europe. And Russia is exporting natural gas, not only to Europe, but to China and to India and elsewhere. And they are reaping the financial reward of that. But we are still supposed to believe, according to these people, that there's some chance that Russia went and sabotaged its own pipe rather than simply turning off the flow. But there are competing theories about how all of this happened, and one of them comes from a member of the European Parliament, Radek Sikorski. He is Polish by heritage. He is a former journalist and politician, and he is a senior fellow at Harvard's Center for European Studies. He is 100% a globalist, and in his background picture on Twitter, he has a picture of himself shaking hands with none other than the fake president of the United States, Joseph Robinette Biden. His pinned tweet on Twitter is from July, and he wrote, If Putin conquers Ukraine, he'll come for us next. As the Ukrainians are fighting our fight, the least we can do is protect their women and children. My interview with Morning Joe here. So that is Radek Sikorsky for you. He posted a picture of the white foaminess sitting on top of the ocean that we are all now understanding to be the horrific disaster above the Nord Stream pipeline. He captioned that photo, thank you, USA, and then followed it up. By the way, there's no shortage of pipeline capacity for taking gas from Russia to Western Europe, including Germany. Nord Stream's only logic was for Putin to be able to blackmail or wage war on Eastern Europe with impunity. And so he's essentially giving a nod to Putin's leverage over Eastern Europe based on his dominating position in the natural gas market and the delivery systems. He's saying that Nord Stream allowed Putin to wage war against Eastern Europe with impunity. And yet, People who are aligned with him politically and with the globalist cause generally are suggesting that somehow Vladimir Putin decided to do this and get rid of all that leverage. And of course, that does not make sense. Now, why in the world would 
this member of the European Parliament who has a picture with Joe Biden and is a journalist and politician and a senior fellow at the Harvard Center for European Studies suggests that the USA might be responsible for explosions, sabotage, as it's being called, that would disrupt the flow of gas from Russia to Eastern Europe via Nord Stream. I mean, that's a pretty bold claim. This could be seen if the U.S. did this as a direct act of war against Russia, potentially. Why would the U.S. want to do something like that in neutral international waters? I mean, surely the U.S. would not want to cause an energy crisis in Eastern Europe this winter. People would freeze to death. That would just be too cruel, even for Joe Biden and the evil twin faction of the United States doing the bidding of global communists. Except... Joe Biden also said this back on February 7th of this year. If Germany, if uh, if Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the uh, the, the border of Ukraine again, then uh, there will be uh, we there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. What, do, what? How will you? How will you do that? Exactly, since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control. We will. Uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. If Russia invades, we will bring an end to the Nord Stream Two project. Well, how can you do that? The project is also under Germany's control. I promise you, we'll have a way to do that. Now, that's kind of a weird thing to say, and it's a very strange answer to give. I mean, he could have said, well, we're going to uh, unite the international community and pressure Russia to not invade. And we will somehow use some leverage on Nord Stream 2 and we'll just get it done. We'll make sure to gather our international partners and end that project before it can be completed. But he didn't say that. He basically just said he has some trick up his sleeve. Oh, don't test. Don't test old Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a crafty operator, sharp as a tack, powerful as all hell and absolutely uncompromised. The man cannot be influenced by anyone. If he says he's going to do something, oh, he's going to do it. He's going to find a way. He always has an extra trick up his sleeve and he knew that they could stop Nord Stream 2. Man, oh man, what a genius. Thank goodness the adults are back in the room. And here's another adult who's now back in the room. This is Under Secretary of State Victoria Newland, the same woman who you might remember showed up and gave Senate testimony affirming that the U.S. does indeed have Department of Defense-funded biolabs in Ukraine but don't worry, they're biodefense labs. Yes, they are doing incredibly dangerous research that could cause a worldwide crisis if that research were to fall into the wrong hands, like Russian hands, for instance. But you see, for now, all that stuff is in the right hands, our hands.
Therefore, it's just defense and it's not dangerous. And we're definitely, definitely, absolutely not researching deadly pathogens for the sake of creating bioweapons. But who knows what the Russians would do if they had it? Then all that research would absolutely be research on bioweapons. But we don't have them because it's against the law for us to have them. And we would never, ever, ever break the law. You know, aside from the other stuff we do. Um, With regard to Nord Stream 2, uh, we continue to have uh, very strong and clear conversations uh, with our German allies. And I want to be clear with you today. If Russia invades Ukraine, one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Now, I know the audio there was a little quiet, but she said essentially the same thing we just heard Joe Biden say. And she actually said this, I think, 10 or 11 days before that. She said that if Russia invades Ukraine one way or another, they'll put an end to Nord Stream 2. So could the U.S. be responsible for explosions that have now caused massive leaks in the Nord Stream pipelines and as a result are going to help the sun destroy the earth because of the sheer number of cow farts traveling through this pipeline. Would the illegitimate regime with all their climate change concerns, they've done so much work on the Green New Deal. Would they actually do something to cause an environmental disaster on this scale? And the answer is, hey, maybe I'm quite tempted to go back and research the story of the BP oil spill in the Gulf under Obama. I wonder if there will be some similarities there. So knowing that AOC would be so upset, why would the illegitimate president And his administration or the global communists he answers to want to do something like this. And I'm not certain, as I said, this is a very confusing situation, but it's at least possible that they think they're going to make up for the loss in energy flowing into Eastern Europe with their own sources of energy that they can now sell at a premium and move into Eastern Europe. And that would make Eastern Europe dependent on the global communists while reducing the leverage that Russia holds over those countries. And the ultimate result could be that the affected nations would be more inclined or forced to be more inclined to support this ridiculous war effort in Ukraine, because as it stands now. The Ukrainian war effort is collapsing. It is becoming a global embarrassment for them as people realize what's actually happened there. Russia is overachieving in terms of its objectives. You can imagine that all of those countries and the people of those countries are becoming very concerned about whether or not they'll freeze to death this winter and whether or not they'll be able to get food. And so if you're the global communists and the illegitimate regime, you might go to one of your old trusted tactics, which is to create or exacerbate a very serious problem and then be the only party capable of fixing it. With the upside being 
Whoever has the problem now has to do whatever you say. And here's one last confusing little wrinkle. This is from Germany's Der Spiegel. CIA warned Germany about the possibility of attacks on gas pipelines in the Baltic Sea. The U.S. Central Intelligence Agency warned Germany in the summer. And Der Spiegel cited a statement from some officials as their source. So Biden and Newland months and months ago said if Russia invaded, they would stop Nord Stream 2 somehow. Then the CIA warned Germany a few weeks ago that there could be attacks on the pipelines in the Baltic Sea. Now we have attacks on the pipelines in the Baltic Sea, and they're trying to blame Russia for it, while other people are crediting the United States for it. So again, impossible at this point to know what's going on here. But nevertheless, pardon my French, fuckery abounds. Now, there's another international situation that's a really tough one to read, too, and that's the protest situation in Iran. We are being shown by our media. We are being told online that we all must rush to the moral defense of the protesters over there who we are told are protesting over their right to forego the wearing of the hijab. Now, I am neither Iranian nor an Iran expert by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm not going to pretend to understand the cultural influences at work here. And I'm not going to pretend to understand the intricacies of Iran's government that are involved in this situation. But what we have and what we're told is that a woman was not wearing her hijab. She was picked up by essentially the morality police in Iran. They are called the guidance patrol and that she was beaten severely by police and died in prison. The police say she had a heart attack at the station, fell on the floor and died after two days in a coma. There are purportedly leaked medical scans that prove the police brutality. And I'm not trying to deny any of that. I genuinely do not know the right answer. Okay. But we can still look at how all of this is being portrayed to us and to the West by the global state propaganda media. Now, the way the story is developing, it is a perfect parallel in basically every way to the George Floyd incident in the United States in 2020. And these sorts of incidents, as we know, have become commonplace as we watch the world become more interconnected via Internet communications. We understand that these things are happening in places around the world. And this is absolutely part of the color revolution playbook. They want chaos in the streets. They want political and social division because they end up achieving their outcomes through this. Now, the way these protests have been handled are exactly the same in a narrative sense as what we were shown and told in the wake of George Floyd dying of a fentanyl overdose while being restrained by a policeman's knee. There was a massive hashtag campaign on social media. People would wear special clothing. They would put up their little black squares to solve racism. In Iran right now, people are making TikToks in English that are 
seemingly and visibly marketed to the Western world. They're not marketed to other Iranian citizens. The content is not being made for other Iranians. It's being made for the West. Women are cutting their hair or shaving their heads in these strange rituals of public humiliation. We're told we have to support all of this because Iran's government is evil and Iran's government may well be evil, but Iran, like everywhere else, has factions. Iran wasn't always what we imagine Iran to be now. A few decades ago, Iran was a cultural center of the Middle East, and it is amazing what a big portion of communism and a little sprinkle of CIA and globalist intervention can do to a place. But what's key is that we don't fall into the trained and habitual response to determine that because the people are on the streets, that means the people are on the good side because Iran's government is evil. It's not factions like everywhere else. It's just one thing. And that thing is evil. And protesters represent the people and the people are always good. Therefore, protesters, good government, evil. End of story. We support the protesters. Hashtag whatever. That's the response we are supposed to give. That's what we are supposed to feel. We want to feel unified with the brave women of Iran. But these aren't the sides here. Imagine what it must have looked like from another country's perspective to look at American news in the summer of 2020 and see nothing but George Floyd and riots and looting and burning and violence. And all of this was about America's horrible history of slavery that still lives on today in systemic racism everywhere, everywhere, racism, always. That's what's projected to the world. And at the same time, what does our government look like? Oh, we have the authoritarian dictator, Donald Trump. And so all of this is a response to Donald Trump's evil authoritarian regime. And all of it is a response to America's history of racism. Therefore, these protesters are super brave. They're just face to face with these cops, these authority figures who do nothing but enact violence against the poor, oppressed black people of America. Everybody has to get on their side and stand up. Imagine how that would look to a foreign country. If you made the same calculation that a lot of people are making when they see this stuff out of Iran, you would have thought that BLM, Antifa, domestic terrorists, were not only in the right on this issue, but we're also representative of the widely held views of the American people. And that's just simply not true. BLM and Antifa domestic terrorists were not acting in righteousness. Their actions were not justified. They weren't fighting back against a real problem of police brutality against black men due to racism. Statistically speaking, that problem does not exist at least not in any way that indicates racial bias. And they weren't fighting in opposition to an authoritarian government led by an illegitimate dictator. If you were viewing all of this narrative from a foreign country, you would think all of those things and you would be wrong on all of those levels. 
But the goal of the color revolution, the goal of the global communists and the goal of their state propaganda media organizations is not to inform you and allow you to make your own decisions about what's right and wrong. The goal is to create an emotional response that will help facilitate the implementation of their agenda always. And the key understanding here is that beyond anything else, even when the underlying cause can be justified and there are genuine people there supporting that cause out in the streets, those movements can be co-opted. So these things can be created out of nothing as they seem to be in the George Floyd situation or a real and legitimate cause can be co-opted and exploited. And many times it's both. But we know the global communists were in charge of and funding and organizing the BLM Antifa efforts. We know that politicians in the Democrat Communist Party were trying to get these rioters out of prison. We know that communist governors like Gavin Newsom were emptying California prisons. And we saw convicted felons involved in many of these social justice riots. We know that communist governors and mayors were refusing support from Donald Trump's administration. We know the media called the riots mostly peaceful, even though people were dying and businesses were being burned and stores were being looted to the tune of billions of dollars in damages that summer. It was in every way an organized and funded domestic terrorist attack against our nation, and it was being portrayed as a fully justified and rational response to this never-ending problem of police brutality against black unarmed men. Except that's not a real thing. So they used the rioters, their politicians played their role, and the result was incredible political division. And it was a complete and total distraction from COVID and the pandemic that was already happening. Any of the people who spent their time afraid of COVID, masking up, getting vaxxed, telling everybody how safe and effective it was, telling everybody else that they were killing somebody's grandmother. Those people might have begun to come around on some of the COVID stuff over the course of the summer of 2020, if it weren't for the George Floyd stuff, because the same people were on the same sides for both issues for the most part. I remember my experience in Hollywood speaking out about both of these on social media and in my circles with people I would see, although that was very rare in 2020, because, of course, we weren't allowed to congregate anywhere. Restaurants were closed. Clubs were closed. Sporting events closed. Concerts closed. You couldn't go see people in the places you would normally see them. So there was no conversation to be had. But I was speaking out about covid. And then all of a sudden I was speaking out about Black Lives Matter. And so if you were a little iffy on Black Lives Matter and very into covid, you might be like, well, this guy's crazy about COVID. I can't really listen to him about Black Lives Matter. Or if you were iffy on COVID, oh, I can't listen to this person. They're not saying the right things about Breonna Taylor. So there's no way they know whether or not masks work. But that's the point of the color revolution playbook. Cause chaos, create division so that the people running the playbook ultimately benefit. The media is there to frame these issues and to give you the two sides. And if you think one side is in the wrong, you're going to support the other side. 
and you'll just fall into the dichotomy that the media has created. It is always a false dichotomy. They are in control of both sides. No matter which side you choose to support, you will ultimately end up supporting their agenda. That is how they organize these things. It is intentional. If you fall into the media's narrative, if you trust it, even though you know you can't, if you just think, oh, well, I have to support the people, you're going to end up falling into their interpretation, which will mean you're going to end up wrong and unprepared to respond. Now, certainly no one wants to see women being forced to wear things they don't want to wear, and no one wants to see women beaten and killed by police. That's obvious. With extremely rare exceptions, everybody agrees about that. And as for whether or not the government is good, well, that's something that requires deep analysis and some historical perspective. Remember how everyone was at the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine situation. Vladimir Putin was very, very, very bad. And Russia is still like, what, quasi-communist? People are still saying that. People think that Russia is a communist nation right now. Makes no sense whatsoever, but they're just going to hold on to it. Russia is very bad. Russia is very evil. Putin is a violent dictator. Something, something, Alexei Navalny. We must stand with the brave people of Ukraine. Except it's not the brave people of Ukraine you're standing with when you support the global communist effort regarding the very deadly Russian invasion. It's Ukrainians who are dying there. The global communists don't have some moral right to maintain their corrupt proxy state forever, no matter what it does, no matter how many neo-Nazi battalions they raise up, no matter how long their uh, ethnic civil war goes on in the Donbass. They don't simply get to say, we're standing with the brave people of Ukraine. That's all we're doing and have everyone believe it. All of these situations are more nuanced than that. So it's really important, even when your own character says we have to stand with these people fighting against the machine to step back, consider what the television wants you to believe, and then get more information until you actually understand the situation. And sometimes you can't understand the situation. And in those cases, the way to respond is by remaining agnostic, saying, hey, you know, I don't like police brutality, but I'm not sure I entirely understand this situation. And I'm not just going to go out and start posting hashtags on Instagram, because what happens when you rush to do that is that you begin convincing everyone else that the media's story is correct. Oh, hey, I guess we've all agreed with the television this time. Let's all pat ourselves on the back and talk about how moral we are for posting Instagrams about Iran. Oh, look at me. I'm cultured. Now let's move on to another incredibly confusing situation, and that is what is happening in China right now. At the end of last week, reports started dropping that China's Xi Jinping was the target of a coup attempt and that some faction of the Chinese Communist Party was attempting to remove him and imprison him. Or alternatively, there were reports that his anti-corruption efforts within the CCP were continuing and that he was rounding up more corrupt communists. 
That is also a confusing and developing situation, and no one really knows the answers. But it is very interesting that the international news and perhaps our own CIA, as noted by Jack Posobiec, want this story out there. If we remove from our thinking the factual aspects, which we cannot at this point understand or know, we can still look at the narrative and the takeaway from the narrative is that they are broadcasting to the world that there is some rift between Xi Jinping and high level members of the Chinese Communist Party. And that should be seen as pretty big news. This is something I've been talking about for quite a long time, as have many others. But in the good twin, evil twin paradigm, if we are to use that when we look at China, it would seem mistaken to me to describe Xi Jinping as somehow part of that same whole, part of that Chinese Communist Party. There are rumors of rifts between the dynastic families in China. So with that in mind, let's go to the French press outlet AFP. China, Russia face historic scrutiny at UN Rights Council. This is from yesterday. China and Russia face possible action by the UN's top rights body following historic draft resolutions against the two powerful permanent members of the Security Council. Okay, so China and Russia are in big, big trouble, according to the UN, such big trouble that there is a draft resolution that goes after them. The UN Human Rights Council in Geneva frequently investigates and tries to rein in abuses inside countries, but has not taken on the two heavyweights directly until now. And if there's one thing the UN cares about, it's human rights. That's why they have migration organizations set up all over the world to make sure the slave trade runs properly. And it's why UN peacekeeping missions are never beset with claims of rape and assault and abuse and terrorizing of the countries that they are sent into. The UN, you see, are united nations, which means that they're all super moral and all about the best outcomes for everyone. If it's the UN doing it, we can trust it for sure. A damning UN report warning of possible crimes against humanity in China's Xinjiang region and concerns over an intensifying crackdown inside Russia as its war rages in Ukraine have led to massive pressure on the West and its allies to act. Okay, so the crimes against humanity in Xinjiang are the concentration camps full of Muslim Uyghurs. But that isn't anything new. That's not new at all. That's been around for years and they haven't done anything. So why are they addressing that now? And a crackdown inside Russia as war rages in Ukraine. You got that? Russia is now abusing its own citizens at just the right time. Western nations have taken unprecedented steps against the two giants, despite fears that a failed resolution would signal a shifting power balance and weaken the 47 member council. Oh, so what happens if this resolution fails? Oh, it'll be obvious to the entire world that the West's influence in this global communist governing body has waned because 
half of the world's population and the country's representative of those people are not aligned with the interests of the global communist West any longer? Oh, no. Earlier this month, all European Union countries except Hungary agreed to draft a resolution urging the Rights Council to appoint a so-called special rapporteur to monitor violations inside Russia in a move Moscow slammed as politically motivated. Remember, Russia brought evidence of U.S. Defense Department funded and Western aligned bioweapons labs in Ukraine to the U.N. Security Council and were basically rebuffed by all the Western nations. They were called conspiracy theorists to their faces. But nonetheless, countries representing over half the world's population aligned with Russia, including China. But these claims now, now the West is ready to investigate. And on Monday, the United States presented the first ever draft resolution focused on China at the council, seeking, quote, a debate on the situation of human rights in the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region during its next session. The draft text co-sponsored by Britain, Canada, Sweden, Denmark, Finland, Iceland and Norway, with others expected to join in, will be voted on by the council next week. As innocent as it looks on the surface, this is pretty significant. It places China on the agenda of the council, a diplomatic source told AFP. This modest but essential step will bring much needed scrutiny to Chinese authorities sweeping rights violations, said John Fisher of Human Rights Watch. Human Rights Watch, another global communist organization. During a general debate on Monday, a long line of countries voiced concerns about China and Russia. We can't ignore such severe and systematic breaches of human rights, British Ambassador Simon Manley said of the situation in Xinjiang. This council cannot and must not stay silent. China is facing intense scrutiny after the UN's Xinjiang report was published on August 31st, highlighting credible allegations of widespread torture, arbitrary detention and violations of religious and reproductive rights. It's worth noting that you could prepare a similar report on the consequences of policies initiated by the illegitimate regime in America. It brought U.N. endorsement to long running allegations by campaigners and others who accused Beijing of detaining more than one million Uyghurs and other Muslims and forcibly sterilizing women. And this, of course, is something I've been talking about consistently for a couple of years. Beijing vehemently rejected such charges and has harshly criticized the report. China has launched an all-out offensive since the current council session started two weeks ago and has sent a large delegation from Xinjiang to Geneva to hammer home the truth about the situation. Asked about how China would respond to a council resolution, Xu Guishang, head of the Xinjiang government's information office, told reporters Beijing would resolutely adopt appropriate countermeasures. We are not afraid. We are ready for the fight. During Monday's debate, a high-level Xinjiang official, Shawkat Amin, said some Western countries were trying, quote, to instrumentalize human rights issues to destabilize Xinjiang. 
He was backed by diplomats from many countries, including Pakistan, whose representatives slammed, quote, interference in China's internal affairs under the pretext of human rights, end quote. Malawi's representative, Matthews Gamadzi, also appeared to back China, saying the council has become selective and paralyzed by politicization. Malawi was the only country out of 13 African Council members which took the floor. Gamadzi's comment could raise concerns that the African members, which often move as a block, might vote against one or both texts. If a large enough number vote against them, it could tank the resolutions. Now, it's interesting that this article didn't go into at all what Russia is being accused of. Now, why is that? I'm sure there are plenty of articles out there reporting that Russia is doing all sorts of things in regards to human rights, both within Russia and obviously in Ukraine, as we've seen those reports and claims from American communists like Hillary Clinton and whoever else about how Russia is committing war crimes in Ukraine. There's just not really any proof of that. But who needs proof when you have an agenda? And they're happy, it seems, to tie Russia to China and China's abuses of Muslim Uyghurs in Xinjiang. And because this is a resolution with no real teeth, you have to begin to wonder if this is basically just an attempt at a show of force, a show of allegiance, who is with the global communist West, who is with Russia and China and India and Saudi Arabia and South Africa and Hungary and every other nation that isn't aligned currently with the global communist order. And so what we can take from all this, what we should think about with all of this is who stands to benefit and what are the motivations? We covered the pipeline thing. It could very well be the case that the United States at least as represented by the illegitimate president and his regime aligned with the global communists could have staged this attack against the pipeline so that they could leverage the countries of Europe at threat of freezing throughout this winter to further support the failed war effort in Ukraine. Totally possible. What's happening in Iran? What do they want there? They may want regime change because they may want to replace that regime with their preferred leader, as they did in Ukraine in 2014. And that would explain the global communist side of things. But we also know that Republican communists, rhinos, people aligned with the global agenda, but with different alignments marketed to a different group, may be happy to serve the military industrial complex and gin up a war with Iran. And it seems clear that they are dead set on creating some sort of war effort against Russia. And who knows how much further that will expand, especially as they're running the same Russia-Ukraine playbook in regards to China and Taiwan. The key here is always to discern what the television wants you to believe, not what's actually happening, but what the television wants you to believe, because that's where their motivation is. And you can tell what the motivation is when you understand what their agenda is, what the agenda of the global communist order actually is. And usually somewhere in that analysis and taking into account what the bad guys, all the no-no people out there are saying, somewhere in all that, 
is at least a much better understanding of what's going on than the media is possibly going to deliver to you. And that's why it's so important not to immediately think about which side of a situation you're supposed to align with to still imagine that you're a good person just for aligning with something that you don't really know much about. And as unsatisfying as it all may be, the answer, the correct answer for the time is, I guess we'll see. Time will tell. I simply don't know. And you have to be okay with that until you learn more. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that 
by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!